As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Leon Cooperman, folks for like 47 years, was named head research strategist by institutional investor uh, at a tour of duty with uh, Goldman Sachs a few years ago. Leon, I want to talk about the character of this bear market. And you and I do that with a bond overlay we've never seen, which is bond price down, yield up. The losses in bonds are extraordinary. How does that redound over to a stock bear market? Well, actually, I would taking a slightly different approach. I'm shocked that interest rates are as low as they are. You know, for most of my career, there was a real return associated with buying a bond. The bond nominal yield was in excess of inflation. We have an inflation rate in this country, quote, 8 percent. You have real growth, a couple percent. So you have nominal GDP growing at 10 percent. And you have the 10-year bond at 3 percent. Makes no sense. And that makes everything in the stock market look attractive. The stock so, market you know, looks attractive. What part looks attractive to you, or are you in the triple leveraged all cash fund? No, I, I'm basically I'm of the view that equities are the best house in the financial asset neighborhood, but I don't like the neighborhood for a lot of reasons. So I, I have a cautious view. I've been a seller on strength and not a buyer on weakness. I think that ultimately the price of oil or the Fed or maybe the strong dollar. Uh, will lead us into a recession. And when the recession hits, which will be a 2023 event when it hits, not 2022, that the market will find the bottom somewhere between 35 and 40 percent below its peak of 4,800. And I think coming on the program and having, <coughs> excuse me, a cautious view is not value added. So I differentiate myself. I talk about the Pharaoh. You know, I don't know what you know about the Bible, Tom, but the Pharaoh had a dream. The dream was interpreted by Joseph. And the dream was we were going to have seven lean years following the seven fat years. I'm not making a seven-year forecast, but what I'm saying is uh, I would be very, very surprised if we went into a new bull market anytime soon. And we've just been through the most speculative period in our financial history. You know, SPACs, uh, 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 would-be, you know, um, FANGs, yeah. uh, zero commissions, zero yeah. interest rates. We just saw an extraordinary <clears throat> speculative period. And right. uh, 
We're not going to a bull market. Lisa, what's so important here is we can't have the Coopermont angle because the seven years of abundance led by the seven years of famine. Lisa, that doesn't get it done for us. We'll have to uh, put the exodus aside and talk about uh, what we're looking for in terms of the safety during the seven years of leanness. And and you talked about bonds and the surprise that yields were so low, uh, particularly benchmark rates. What is the safety if it's not bonds? Oh, I would think uh, undervalued common stocks. I'd rather be in a common stock than we'd be in a bond any day of the week, given the relative price of bonds versus equities. Well, can you Look, buy... What we've got to understand is stocks are very heterogeneous. Bonds are homogeneous. What I mean by that is a AAA bond, AA bond, they'll all trade within a quarter point of each other. Stocks uh, are heterogeneous. You know, I look at a Citibank at seven times earnings and discount the book. Bank of America at nine times earnings. Apollo, uh, the uh, financial services company at eight times earnings. Uh, you know, I, my, I, I'm doing relatively well this year because I have a big energy exposure. And I had breakfast with the CEO of a company called Paramount Resources up in Canada. And the stock's gone from two to like uh, 28. And I was wondering whether I should take some money off the table. And when I got finished talking to the CEO, I, I figured I, I ought to add to my position. This is a company that generates uh, over 3% dividend yield, sells at three times cash earnings, and it's growing production double digits, um, and uh, they have something like uh, $10, $11, $12 of cash flow, uh, trading at uh, like three times cash flow. And they have a portfolio of other, other energy holdings that are equal to $5 per share. Well, the irony, I, I'm very negative on bonds. My biggest position is a bond, but it's very complex. But I, 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 I happen to think it's like a layup. I could be dead wrong. It's a company called Legato. They have first lien debt outstanding, 15.5% coupon. With a make whole provision, you have paid interest to the end of 2023 when the bond matures. And these are very real people. They have very real assets. When I say real people, the chairman of the board is Ivan Seidenberg, formerly head of Verizon. Reed Hunt, formerly head of the FCC, is on the board. Yeah. And Mr. Donahue, who is number two guy to Craig McCord, Bill McCord, Cellular is on the board. Very Lee, real people. Yes. There's so yeah. much of the specific story here that's important to talk about and discern. Let's talk about the bear case or the recession call of a 40% drawdown from the peak, which is about 20% further than where we are today in the S&P. What leads things lower if there are these positive stories of whether it's undervalued financials, as you said, or whether it's undervalued or at least uh, fairly valued uh, energy companies? Well, I'm a, I'm a classicist. You know, uh, let's face it, we, we have recessions. We used to have recessions every four or five years, but because of very liberal policies, it's been stretched out. But if we have a recession, uh, typically you have a bear market preceding a recession. And, uh, you know, we're in a bear market already. And the question is, we're probing for the bottom. And uh, I think given the excesses that we've had, uh, having a bottom 35 or 40 percent below the peak would not be an unreasonable guess. Multiples that would right. be sued for that not unreasonable. You know, uh, let's face it, everybody's using the wrong profit estimate. You know, I think someone in your program this morning said every one percentage point improvement in the dollar is about eight percent off of earnings. Uh, well, let's so, talk about that, Leon Cooperman. You have seen dollar bouts. I, you know, I believe you were in the meetings of the Plaza Court a few years ago. What does a strong dollar mean for our viewers and our listeners? Negative for corporate profits. We already got a, a profit warning out of Microsoft on the strong dollar. And, uh, you know, in a recession, profits typically drop 20 percent. 
I don't see any uh, uh, estimates that would have earnings on the S&P 500 comfortably right. below 200. Leon, help me with institutional money and what they do with whatever part of their portfolio was bonds and those bond losses. We have guest after guest after guest rationalizing a bond bear market, do this, do this, do this, do this, fine. But the fact is, on an actuarial assumption, even if you have a formal one or you don't, boy, are you underwater off that bond bear market. What do you do? Shift the stocks? Well, uh, I would say it's a combination of cash and stocks. That would be my answer. You know, I'm in a different position. I'm approaching 80 years of age. I don't have any clients. I run my own money. I could take a longer term horizon. And I, I recognize that in the bear market, he who loses right. least wins. He who loses least wins. We all Leon, lose in the market. Leon, at your August age of 79 and holding, should President Biden serve a second term? Give us the Cooperman energy level as the nation considers a second term for the president. I, I think he definitely should not run, and I don't think he will run. I am told by people that he's not happy in Washington. He's spending more time with his grandkids in Delaware. You know, uh, he has not done a good job. I voted for him because I voted my values and not my pocketbook. And uh, I found Trump, who has superior economic ideas to Biden, his conduct was just totally unacceptable. And uh, But I think the Democrats are going to get crushed in December. Uh, the progressives have led them too far to the left. The country is centrist in nature. And uh, we got we to gotta start working together. We got to start cooperating. Leon. And, you know, let me, if I make, make yeah, this point, on. it's not about politics, but I, 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 in a sense, with a smile on my face, blame a good man by the name of Barack Obama for a lot of these problems. I don't think that Bush one or Bush two, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton villainized wealth. He villainized wealth. And I sent him a letter 12 years ago that went viral on the internet. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. And I said to him, Mr. President, you're telling the 99% they're being screwed by the 1%. You should be telling the 99% with hard work and luck they could become part of the 1%. You're depreciating the American dream. Now, unfortunately, President Biden has picked up on that theme. Right. I see no reason to villainize wealth. How do you get to be wealthy? You develop a proper well, service the world needs. And we continue with Leon Cooperman of Omega. Leon, just because Jess Minton beat me over the head with this, are you in Bitcoin, Leon? What do you think of Bitcoin? I take the easy way out of Bitcoin. They say, if you don't understand Bitcoin, it means you're old. I'm old. But I tend to side with Warren Buffett, uh, who I think yeah. said he wouldn't pay 25 cents for all the Bitcoin outstanding, or his partner, Charlie Munger, who refers to it as rat poison. Uh, I don't well, see it at all. I don't understand it. I think it's a product of the times of very stimulative policies. And uh, yeah. I think okay. I, I think Leon away. Cooperman Critty just told me I was old. I think that's what <laughs> I, I heard there. Thrilled to have Leon Cooperman as we extend our discussion with him in these tumultuous times. Leon, over the years, how do you adapt and adjust when there's a CEO change at a company, even if it's coordinated and there's a ballet. And of course, I'm thinking of Amazon. It could be any other company as well. But let's just take Amazon, Bezos to Jesse. How do you adapt and adjust to that? Well, you have to make a judgment whether the uh, change in leadership uh, is appropriate uh, and uh, logical and makes sense. And is a leadership change occurring at a time when the company is doing well, doing poorly? I get more worried when chief financial officers leave for no apparent reason. Uh, I don't worry about CEOs. 
you know, Bezos uh, wants to kick back a little bit. He has outside ventures. Uh, it's his handpicked successor. He's not selling his stock. You know, so I, I don't get worried about that. Leon, I, I, wanna... can't, I can't generalize. You, you know, you got to take each situation one at a time. Fair enough. Leon, I want to I want to circle back to a comment you made on Bloomberg surveillance just moments ago. You brought up a historical trend that a recession used to come every four or five years. That's, of course, not been the recent trend. But I'm curious if you see a return to that kind of pattern. No, I wouldn't forecast. Look, we're in a democracy. In a democracy, politicians do a better job in fighting recession than do in fighting inflation. So, you know, we're uh, I, I wouldn't forecast a change in the pattern. But I, what I'm worried about is that we're long in the tooth and we see a lot of structural imbalances and we've created a tremendous amount of debt and uh, we don't have the leadership in the country that we need. So I'm assuming that we're heading to a recession, uh, not that they want one, but uh, I think this idea of inflation moderating, my guess is you'll have to split it two for one to get the inflation rate down to where the Fed wants it. You know, sixty-four so, percent of a typical business cost is labor. Labor is not moderating. We're in an environment where there's much more demand for labor than there's supply. It's not an environment where prices go down. So and we don't have the, we don't have intelligent policies. They want to cut the gasoline tax. The last time I heard, the, the way to get prices down is you get more supply, not more, not more, ta- not not lower taxes, which right. stimulates consumption. Leon, you mentioned the I word, inflation. I'm curious about the macro hedge that seems to be, it feels like the momentum trade of the day, which is you buy commodities to hedge against all the other turmoil in the markets. Is that a trade you support? Uh, I understand the merits of the trade. No, I'm very much of a bottom-up stock-picking kind of guy. Yeah, I got lucky the last couple of years. I came into last year with a very overweighted energy position because the energy was 3% of the index and nobody liked it. And these guys were very cheap. And now all of a sudden, everybody likes it, and I'm getting nervous. Uh, but I, I've held on because they seem so inexpensive yeah. relative to cash flow. Leon, in the time we've got left with you, I am fascinated what you think of the speed that the SEC is moving, where Mr. Gensler has so many issues. You mentioned crypto, Bitcoin, whatever earlier, or the meme stocks. I know, Leon, you were sitting on your couch down in Florida uh, playing GameStop. But for you and me, some of this modern trading stuff is nuts. What should the SEC be doing? I think the SEC has done a tremendous disservice to the public. And I expressed that. You know, I became a big letter writer in my old age. I followed the advice of Aristotle, who said intolerance and indifference is the last virtues of a society. So I started to speak out. So I sent uh, Jay Clayton uh, a letter pointing out to him that the market structure has been destroyed. And why do I say that? When I came to Goldman Sachs 60 years ago, whether it was Goldman, Morgan Stanley, Solomon Brothers, Merrill Lynch, they traded stocks at 50 or 60 cents a share and the Volcker rule didn't exist. Now with commissions near zero in the Volcker rule, the brokers are not stabilizers. Secondly, 50 years ago, specialists in New York Stock Exchange handled 80% of the volume. Today, 80% of the volume is off-board and dark pools. So the specialists are not stabilizers. And then finally, for some unexplained reason, they eliminated the uptick rule, which gave rise to these high-frequency algorithmic traders. Yeah. They know nothing about value. They know everything about price. And they drive the market higher than it should be on fundamentals, and they drive it lower than it should be on fundamentals. Uh, and uh, yeah. I pleaded with the SEC to reinstate the uptick rule 
for a period of a few months to see what changes. Just to experiment. Just I, I agree. Leon, and, we're, out of t- we're out of time. we got to go. But I, I want to get you back on to pick up on the uptick rule. I think that's uh, not a small item. Leon Cooperman, I'm going to call him constructively cautious on the markets. Of course, iconic and with his omega uh, as well. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. The distinction today is a link up here with yen weaker as well. 137.39 is critical. A 138 print would be truly shocking. George Cerevelis has been out front on this with Global Head of Foreign Exchange Research at Deutsche Bank with a note published worldwide moments ago. There are real interest rates, nominal interest rates. George Cerevelis, there are capital flows. And then there is the thermodynamic statics of the hoarding of dollars. What is the importance of a static hoarding of dollars versus normative flows in the global economy? Hi, Tom. Uh, So I think it's extremely important because if you look at what happened this year, you've had a very big regime shift in the market. Uh, Currencies were generally uh, pretty highly correlated to interest rate differentials uh, up until March. So you had the more hawkish Fed, um, the dollar was rallying. Um, then the ECB turned more hawkish and the rate differential actually turned uh, significantly higher in favor of the euro, uh, but the euro failed to follow. And the market more broadly has stopped being responsive um, to the interest rate differential and is instead a lot more sensitive to the flow dynamics um, you discussed. And what we're seeing globally is uh, essentially a huge hoarding of dollars uh, from investors. Um, Europe obviously is uh, really burdened at the moment by this huge energy crisis Um, Japan also has the energy problems plus the BOJ, which is easing aggressively. Uh, And the conclusion the market has is it's just hoarding onto dollars. Even if investors are selling U.S. assets, uh, they're selling U.S. equities and bonds, as we're seeing, it's just not being repatriated back. And for example, that's one reason why the yen is no longer a safe haven. So, George, let's focus on the euro. How low can that currency pair go? One. And two, are rate hikes from this ECB bullish or bearish for that currency? Well, your last question is an interesting one. If if you look at the UK, the Bank of England was one of the first currencies, uh, one of the first uh, central banks to hike rates, and that really didn't benefit. Um, You've seen the RBA, Sweden, all turn hawkish. Um, So I would say at the moment, um, central bank reaction functions, rate hikes, don't seem to matter all that much. And it's a lot more about the underlying energy balance. Um, How far can it go? I just crunched some numbers uh, in in a piece this morning. Uh, If you map out the extra energy deterioration on the back of this big um, spike in natural gas prices, that's worth about 200 billion euros extra of supply into the market. Roughly speaking, that equates to euro dollar at parity. 
but of course, these are only rough estimates and numbers. When you look at how much the euro has overshot uh, in the past, uh, we've come up with a range of anywhere between 95 and parity. And I think in the current environment, um, that sort of range is, is not really unreasonable. This is actually piling on to what Citigroup was calling for as well, a 95 on the euro should this gas ban go into effect with some sort of weaponization. At what point does that become your base case versus a bearish outlier? At what point do you have conviction around it, given that Germany is already starting to tweak how it's handling a potential lack of gas supplies down at the end of the year? So um, when an outcome rests so much on uh, what would happen out of Russia and President Putin, it's very difficult to, to have a base case. I think the best thing we can do at the moment is just put numbers around the different uh, scenarios. And under the scenario of a complete um, gas cutoff, I, I really wouldn't say 95 would be unreasonable. But we can just see how unpredictable things are. Up until three weeks ago, nat gas prices were much lower and, and the flows um, were, were, were going through that pipe. So it is all about the Nord Stream pipeline. Um, what I would say, however, now the market has built a risk premium uh, because it knows there's uncertainty, it knows it can be switched off. So even if this gas returns in terms of um, full flow after the maintenance period, the risk premium is unlikely to go away. And I think that's a critical thing that's changed over the last few weeks. Uh, George, to your point, we can do a bunch of scenario studies, but you have to understand what regime we're in and what matters to foreign exchange and what doesn't. And to your point, it's not been about rates so much as it's been about flows. So, George, do you think it's going to stay that way? Is the reason to believe it stays that way? Because the recession scenario stuff, all the scenario analysis, whatever it is, that's helpful. But unless we understand what's actually driving the underlying currency, who knows where this goes? Absolutely. And what's driving the dollar at the moment is safe haven flows. The dollar is the, the so-called risk parity antipole. And I think you would need two things for that to change. Um, the Fed um, being more sensitive to growth. And at the moment, that's not the case. They're very growth agnostic, so to speak. The U.S. data is slowing, but they're still talking about 3%. So number one, a shift from the Fed. And number two, a change in the energy dynamics, especially as they relate uh, to euro and the yen. So I don't really see the current environment changing, which is why we, we pushed down our euro dollar forecasts um, in recent months. Um, the last point I'd make, everyone is talking about this um, recession. Um, I'd argue uh, the recession should be a given. Indeed, the market's already pricing it. It's now a question of length and depth. Yeah. And uh, the second half of the year is all going to be about that learning process amidst an extremely unusual environment. For example, the growth data is slowing. Labor markets globally are extremely tight and strong. And people talk about the U.S. If you look at the Canadian data, the unemployment rate built a huge record low and, and dropped sharply. And it's these things central banks are looking at, and they would need to see the labor markets overall turn, I think, before we start talking about a more dovish pivot. George, super interesting stuff, as always. George Saravellos there of Deutsche Bank. It's a quote for you. We see a high probability that further hawkish surprises lie ahead, as even the current expected policy path would leave real interest rates negative well into next year. The team behind that quote, Franklin Templeton, the fixed income CIO, joins us right now. Son of design. Son of great to catch up with you. Walk me through why you still believe that we could face further hawkish surprises. So I think the surprises stop being surprises as the market starts expecting them, right? So we wrote that even before. Currently, I would say, I think that we, we're going to get an inflation number which is higher than 1% this uh, this week, month-on-month -month terms. So we're getting close to nine. We might even 
trickle a little bit above nine this month. That's a big number. And I think it's going to be extremely difficult to end this year with inflation being significantly below eight, which means we're looking at seven and a half to eight percent for year end. And my concern is that regardless of where we are on Fed funds, whether we're at three or 3.25, <clears throat> it's not going to be enough. And the market currently is already pricing in rate cuts next year. That might just be way too soon. And that, that's the call, that we will actually see the Fed deliver getting closer to four, but it will not spin on a dime and start cutting as soon as it hits four, because it does need to get inflation out of the system. This happened once before in the 70s. They backed off too quickly, and then inflation came back. This is a pretty bold call, uh, Sonal, and I'm wondering where you think on the yield curve it is most mispriced that there will be cuts to those, rate, uh, to those rates of the Fed next year. Where is it most mispriced that we're going to see inflation come down to a mere 5 or 6% versus what you're expecting of 8%? So I'd say that if I look at the yield curve, if I look at what is priced in looking forward, we are seeing, seeing short-end rates pricing in uh, rate cuts in the second half of next year. And is that, that to me is a mispricing. Now the long end, it is interesting because I don't think that uh, current levels are uh, cheap. I think they're still rich. I think the long end does need to sell off more. Because the market is counting very much on the Fed being in a position to immediately cut rates once we get the slowdown in the economy, which clearly they're expecting and hoping for. That's only if inflation comes down as well. And if inflation doesn't come down, I don't think the Fed can cut rates, so now you even as the economy slows. Sorry. You, you yeah. mentioned the 1970s. Long ago and far away, when I could shave once a week, I was given a private meeting with Sir John Templeton. That began mm -hmm. a relationship over decades. And he told me then, pre-Voker, that there would be a shortage of bonds. Essentially, folks, John Templeton called the great moderation. Other people did as well. But boy, that was a lonely call. Is the great yeah. moderation over? So now, can you, with, you're, you're a Morningstar fixed income manager of the year. Can you say, finally, we've broken through the trend of the great moderation? I think that the great moderation happened at a time when governments and central banks hadn't, were, were not coming off 15 years of various forms of QE from central banks and for governments, at least three or four years of massively expansionary fiscal policy. So do I think that shortage of bonds is history? Eventually it will come back again, but I think for the next three to five years, I don't see a shortage of bonds. So just quickly, I need to squeeze this in. We've got about 30 yeah. seconds with you. What's the big market call for you? I've heard the big Fed call, the big inflation call. What's the big market call? The big market call is much more volatility coming forward. I've heard in two weeks' time, we had treasuries, the deepest, apparently most liquid market in the, in the world, rally 60 basis points. In two days' time, we had them sell off another 20 or 25 basis points. These types of moves are not done. So I'm not ready to make that call to say jump into risk assets. I think it's way too soon. Sonal, wonderful to catch up with you. Sonal Desire of Franklin Templeton. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, 
to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is a joy and timely with dollar strength. Michael Scholl joins us now. Dr. Scholl out of Manchester uh, does a great interest in money and also in commodities and EM as well. Michael, I got eight ways to go here, and I'm going to go to one important idea in your note, which is this time is different in that we are far along in the tightening cycle. What does that mean for Jerome Powell? You know, I think the great danger here is that, is that the Fed tightens too much for financial markets. I, I think we're in a very tricky spot. You know, I, I think the sort of underlying economy, the labor market, obviously can withstand um, a fair amount more tightening. But, but financial markets here are wobbling. Um, and it's the dual nature of this tightening. It's, it's the combination of the withdrawal of liquidity and the increase of interest rates, which I think is starting to bother financial markets. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, my, my bet would be that at, that at some point in the next few months, maybe even the next few weeks, you know, we, we are heading for some kind of a financial accident, a break in financial markets well, that really puts pressure on the Fed to do something different. Michael, you are and I are old enough where we remember the little red book, which was Stanley Fisher out of the IMF in 1998 writing IMF essays from a time of crisis. Folks, everyone in the game had to read that book at the time. And this was Fisher looking at the effect of EM redounding on the developed world. When you see rupiah, rupee, any other number of currencies, Chilean peso unwind, what does that signal to you? Well, no, it's not like 97, 98. We, we don't have um, FX pegs to deal with. You know, I would say more than the EM currencies, but the really surprising thing is the weakness of other developed markets against the dollar. You know, the sort of stunning weakness, as you said, of the yen, of the euro, of the euro, of sterling, and, and this sort of ability of the, of the dollar to just suck up all available liquidity. Um, you know, if we were going to have a 98 moment, I think Europe's more likely to be at the heart of it than East Asia this time. Michael, when you say something will break, and we can get to that Europe point in a moment because it's an important one, but when you say we could have a financial accident, what do you think that looks like? Have you got anything in mind? Well, I mean, it looks like very sharp downward moves in a number, you know, in a number of assets. You know, I, I mean, so far, what we've done is sort of blow the froth off the equity market and, and take yields up and... You know, imposed sort of very unpleasant losses on people, but but by and large, people have lost what they've made in the last 12 to 18 months, which were themselves outsized gains. Uh, you know, I, I think the danger that we have is 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 you know, I think credit's what we have to watch now. But if you know, if credit markets start to dislocate at the speed that rates markets or, or or sort of PEs have come down in equity markets, well, then I I think that 2022 has the ability to impose the sorts of losses on people that they emotionally cannot withstand. And Michael, I guess um, that's what I'm trying to get to the point of. What's a dislocation? 
What's the difference between just the sell-off in the equity market, aggressive widening of credit spreads and a dislocation? And who would be an accident for? No, I think dislocation is where you look at market prices and you really can't make sense of them. You know, you can make a great deal of sense of the reduction in PEs that we've seen so far. You know, you can argue they should be higher, you can argue they should be lower. But, you know, most of what we've seen so far has been, you know, understandable when one looks at earnings or when one looks at inflation. A dislocation is when markets, as they did in 97, in October, in 98, August through October, in 87, you know, it is a move in markets that really breaks its fundamental link. But you look at it and you're like, whoa, well, this is just this is just liquidity being withdrawn. Michael, this raises a question of when the Fed steps in, just to build on that point, especially if they still are trying to fight inflation that may not come down beyond 7.5%, if you believe, Sanal Desai of, uh, of Franklin Templeton. How do they come in and back away, even in the face of some of these dislocations that you expect? Very tricky. Um, you know, I think they take whatever success they can to the bank. You know, my guess is that, you know, you may see a moderation of some of the commodity inflation over a period like that. Um, and the Fed would use the excuse of looking forwards to do something different. Um, I, I also think the Fed has different mandates that it balances. It talks about the employment mandate and the inflation mandate a lot. But we all do understand that there is an implicit mandate to keep the financial system functioning at a, toler at a tolerable level. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that... You know, there are price levels at which, or, or speeds of movement at which the Federal Reserve would be forced to do something. They're also not the only central bank on the planet. Well, you know, you've got the Bank of Japan, PBOC, and, and, and the ECB to consider. To that point, I did want to follow up on what you said about the euro being the next real crisis and that will be akin to some of the emerging market fissures that we saw in previous years. How far along in this are we, and what is the potential contagion there? You know, very difficult to say. You know, I think Europe is, you know, was a mess going into this and, and, and continues to be a mess and, and has the additional strain now of, you know, sanctions on, on Russia and, you know, the potential for some, you know, some rationing of energy, you know, into the winter period. And that, that, that then does start to look a lot like the mid-1970s where, you know, it wasn't just inflation that you had to deal with, but an actual shortage of, of energy available for general industrial activity and, and consumer purposes. So, you know, as I say, the, the Europe is a risk. It has poor political leadership. You know, the ECB is not an entirely credible central bank. And, uh, you know, I, I would say the euro itself is a, is a major currency. Um, but for a lot of people, it's a voluntary currency. Um, so, you know, as I say, that, 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 you know, if we had a region pulling everything else lower, I think that's the region you, you need to watch out for. So, Michael, with that in mind, what are you buying right now? Um, you know, we're, we're still patient with, with energy. I, I still think that that's a sector that has, you know, that has value. Um, I think that, you know, as panic builds, you know, I think you'd want to be more aggressive. Um, I think that, that precious metals, I think, still have potential here. But the honest truth is we're a lot less long today than we were six months ago. Um, and, you know, to have used recent strength to become less long than we were, you know, less long than we were a month ago. So, as I say, this looks like one of those times that, you know, whatever, whatever your mandate allows you to do, um, you know, you'll take your exposure down to more, I would say, cautious levels than in a normal market environment.
Michael Schell, thank you, sir, for catching up with us. Market Field Asset Management CEO. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.